wrong the podcast where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love and we're your hosts shelby and matt back on a pop culture roundup i, I thought we'd stop doing I know. these we got exactly two dms that were like why haven't i gotten a pop culture roundup in so long so it's like the people have spoken and we have listened and we are here one of them was shelby's dog the yeah other was shelby's mom <laughs> No, you can't diminish our real listeners, okay? These are factual, existing people with real desires that happen to be a Tuesday morning show with Matt and Shelby talking about the news you need to know. Okay, sure. (laughs) I'll send you the screenshots later. I'll uh, I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) And you can't trust a screenshot. Oh my gosh. You can't trust anything these days. Shelby and I had a very long conversation over text this morning about the Matilda trailer <laughs> and whether or not there was CG involved. So That was a nitpicking to a degree I forgot to expect from you. Like You always write, get on me for complaining about plot holes. But suddenly you're like, I think that flyer in the corner of that second frame is definitely computer animated. Well, no, it, well, it, <laughs> so here's the situation. If anyone has seen the Matilda trailer, there's obviously yeah. a lot of VFX in the movie. Yeah. And it's a lot of green screen. It's shot on a soundstage. Um, so then there's this this extended sequence came out that's all of these kids dancing. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, these kids look great. But also there's like, like I think that maybe some of these kids aren't actually real. Like there's <laughs> like, I think the sets might have been, you know, sort of like amped up in post. It just sort of looks a little plasticky. And so I was talking to a friend about this and he was like, no, like absolutely not. Nothing was changed. Like this is, it's, this was shot. Here's this Netflix background video about how all the dancers were actually there. And, and, and I was like, I like, I'm buying that these are like the, there was a set and that these dancers are dancing on it. But I'm like, this clearly has been manipulated in some way. And he was like, no, you are crazy. Like you're an idiot. Like, how could you think such a thing? And it really made me second guess myself of like, am I going crazy? Like, I think that I've seen enough movies by now to sort of be able to suss out like when something is shot on location with like actual physical props. And when something is like, Oh, that's not a real horse. And (laughs) And then I was in like a funk all morning trying to figure out this out. And so then I was <laughs> texting like, Shelby <laughs> and I was like, Shelby, is this like, was this manipulated at all? Like, am I insane? And Shelby <laughs> was trying to then further gaslight me into thinking that no. I was deranged. No, because you positioned it as these dancers are fake. These kids are doing who's really spinning on their head. No one. Trash. This is the witches all over. I do think that the I do think that the kid spinning on his head is CG. No, I don't think so. And there's also a girl in the background of one shot who like leaps up on top of a bookcase and then does like a backflip off of it. And I was like, I don't think like maybe she did that like on a harness or something and they like put it in there. I was like, there's no way that like she was actually allowed to do that on set 
Kids are very talented, okay? There's different well, labor I'm, laws I'm, in the I feel UK. Like, I guess. Like, I feel like somebody could do it, but I'm like, they're just, they're like, here, have at it. Like, jump off this eight-foot bookcase, do a backflip, land on the ground. No pads, no wires. Like You're so dramatic. Mm. Listen, I'm excited for it. I love the musical. I, like... <laughs> I saw it on West End, on the West End, so, like, a legit Matilda It was my stem. first ever Broadway show. OMG, so cute! Yeah, so, I love, I mean, I re- I love the book, I liked the original movie, mm-hmm. I liked the Broadway show, mm-hmm. I feel slightly, like, trepidatious about this movie, yeah, because yeah. I feel like it, it had, like, just statistically, we're, we're three for three at this point, and I feel like at some point, somebody has to try to... <laughs> screw it up for us but you know i'm excited to watch i think it comes out this weekend maybe no well so that's the thing is rob like rob's obsessed with matilda he he too was at its um london uh first run and was like obsessed with it when we came home from the study abroad and so when they when this was announced, he was like screaming, like, OMG, it comes out Thanksgiving. We're going to watch it Thanksgiving. And like on Thanksgiving, we all like gather around Netflix only to realize like, no, it comes out in the UK on Thanksgiving. And then there's a limited theatrical run, I think, mid-December. And then it comes out on Netflix December 25th. So, oh, one of those. Okay. It was a sad day. Sad day in the in the Boyer Polo household. But um, yeah, something to look forward to for our uh, Christmas gathering. So I'm excited. I, I will say I'm like, yeah, the trailer seems, you know, there's a little bit of you're allowed to kind of like let your brain like fill in the gaps on a stage production of a musical because it does like obviously take some different elemental twists than the book or the um, original movie. And so seeing like the overproduced like element of her imagination or whatever will be interesting and like the cheesiness of these kids looking up to this Trunchbull character. But I will say I'm giving it all the grace in the world because I tried to watch Disenchanted over Thanksgiving. And Um, that, that is some bad CGI, okay? (laughs) It got such bad reviews that I I haven't even watched it. It's painful. It was painful. And I loved Enchanted. I mean, everyone did. It's such a good movie. And it was so clever and smart and fresh and fun. Everyone was doing the best, like the most and just nailing it. This movie is like making made-for-TV movies look good. I The animation style is worse. The CG is worse. The only actor they couldn't get to come back, I guess, was the voice of the chipmunk. So that's like a weird new voice. And then they have James Marsden in exactly one, one scene. <laughs> and once that was over, I was like, you know what? I don't have the energy for this, and I haven't gone back to it. So don't know how it ends. Don't huh. like it. Don't want it. Interesting. Yeah, I I have not seen it. Amy Adams is really, like, she needs to fire whoever her agent yeah. is because she has been on a horrid streak of I movies. Know. What is that about? Like, is someone blackmailing her? I like, don't know. between the woman in the window and Hillbilly Elegy and Vice yeah. and the um, – Super Justice League movies. Oh yeah, uh, it's 
it is yeah. a Taking bad to go. For, yeah, no, I think Arrival was her last good movie. I mean, she had Nocturnal Animals, which I <sighs> liked, but I know people in general like that was a very divisive movie. I feel. Yeah. Um, and it was weird watching her and Adina Menzel because it seemed like, and this is what reminded me of it, it seemed at times that they weren't on set together and that they were filming it. And maybe it was just bad directing, but it just seemed like sometimes Amy Adams was looking at a spot that was not the character she was meant to be looking at. Like it was it was very disconcerting. And I, I would be interested for you to watch it if only for you to – alleviate my concerns that I'm losing my mind. So full circle chance for you to have my back. So there's a certain, like the concept of the uncanny Valley where it's like something is like not right, but you can't necessarily like tell why. (laughs) Like, I feel like that does happen a decent amount in movies. And you're like, I could not tell you why this doesn't look like this person is actually driving a car, but I can like, tell for certain that this is not a car that is on the road you know (laughs) yeah Yeah. but anyways um that's how i spent my thanksgiving break um and i didn't really follow any news you know most of the news i did follow was like depressing like elon musk or oh yeah i was gonna say that i feel like the main story that i was following was all of the twitter yeah shenanigans wow I don't even care, do you? <laughs> I mean, I I feel like I did. And it was like, oh, everybody's leaving Twitter. Twitter's done, blah, blah, blah. But then it was like nobody had anywhere to go. So everyone yeah. just sort of stayed. Um, I, I think it'll be sort of interesting to see what happens with it in the long run. But I mean, I it's definitely worse. Like, it's definitely like. Oh, 100% it's worse like in the regular. disaster. Yeah. The regulations are bad. Like people are impersonating other people. The checkmark thing is a nightmare. All of their kind of uh, like policing of hate tweets are gone. So you have that floating around. Unless you're hating on Elon Musk. Yes, unless you're hating on Elon Musk. But I kind of feel like, you know, the death of... I I was thinking about like other social media platforms that have come and gone. It has not Mm. like we've only been in the social media era, like what, 10 years, 15 years now at this point. Yeah. But I feel like every like there's basically two things, maybe three that people want to do on social media. One, they want to share thoughts Two, they want to share pictures. And I guess now third, they want to share like, you know, video type content on TikTok. Yeah. Um, but I think that's much more difficult to produce. So there's like a higher barrier to entry there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's like when MySpace died or when Facebook died or when Snapchat died, all of those were sort of like replaced by something else. And I think if a better version of Twitter came along, people would be happy to migrate to it. But there's not really any place to go to do t- like another version of tweeting and so i think people are kind of stuck there if that's what they want to do um so i don't know like like i think like twitter is obviously falling apart but i feel like it's not like the exodus of twitter has not happened yet because there is no place for twitter users to go i think in general and this is getting really like pseudoscience-y i guess but i feel like there's going to be this swing 
back away from social media, like a more isolating social experience where in, where we had in our lifetime, you know, there was a sudden push to overshare, overshare, overshare. And now the pendulum swinging back to be like, you know, you have your circle of friends on Instagram and you have your secret finstas and like all this. And so I feel like more and more people are just finding their little pockets instead of trying to speak out loud to the universe, like with Twitter. And that's why the Twitter replacements that some people are gravitating towards are these weird apps that are very like niche. Like you can't, you don't get access to everything. You choose one subject and you kind of have your Reddit thread of that type thing. And I feel like that's what more people are doing is like narrowing in on the topics and personalities that they like and building this little network. Like like celebrities are doing their newsletters now instead of having public websites or blogs. And so you have to like pay to play, kind of cultivate your specific interests, protect your little personal bubble, and there's less interest for the most part in like being the loudest, proudest out there. And I think like influencing at large is kind of stumbling, especially when you look at who used to become like hugely famous and it was your bachelor stars, it was your TV stars. But now it's like harder to crack that, you know, people are plateauing faster and the the level of influence that you used to be able to get to quickly has now like moved, you know, like the, it, it's harder to become a real influencer who makes money doing influencing because it's easy to have a hundred K now and it's easy to do this and that. And so there's less like power and exchange. And so thus society at large is turning away from that as a, not even reputable, I guess, but a successful career choice. So I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. There's just so many now, too. Yeah. It's like the saturated market. I mean, when we had two seasons of Bachelor contestants or whatever, it's like, yeah, you could be sort of famous for that, where now that doesn't do anything. I mean, it's like American Idol. It's like the first American (laughs) Idol people, like, sold lots of CDs. Now we're on the 67th season of The Voice. Like, no one cares. Like, winning that show does nothing for your actual career. Like, (laughs) you know, like, no one is getting famous from that anymore. I know. Well, and I was thinking of it too with the headlines around like this season. I mean, this like award seasons movies being quote unquote like bombs at the box office. Like she said was a failure at the box office. And then, you know, the Fablemans, no one goes to see Spielberg anymore. It's the end of the great director. And I think it's just like people don't know how to market to the reality of the everyman now. Whereas, you know, before you'd go to a movie, you'd see the movie trailers and you'd know what you were seeing. But now no one's going to the movies as much, so they're not seeing the trailers as much. And if they are going to the movies, it's reserved seating so they can slink in late. And so there are movies that people didn't even know were coming out that were suddenly battling for this final end of year roundup, like The Fablements, like Strange World, like she said, and all these sort of highbrow um, award fodder. And I think it's like, the marketers don't know how to like adapt because we're kind of in the middle of this change. So it's like, should they be pushing more of these movies towards like scattering them through the summer instead of always waiting for the fall winter? Should they be, you know, trying to push these ads in a more um, direct to consumer kind of way instead of the usual, like, I I don't know, positioning on Instagram and in theater. So it's kind of interesting to watch everyone fumble the bag simultaneously from Facebook to these movie um, 
you know, industry production houses and everyone's kind of struggling to figure out like, wait, how do we, how do we move forward in this market? Well, I mean, I think you could stretch that out also to like the streaming platforms, mm-hmm. which are all like losing money. I can't remember yeah. if we talked about that, oh, but yeah. like, but the Disney, Disney head, um, <laughs> was replaced by an old uh, Bob Chapek who was running Disney was replaced by Bob Iger, who had been the person who Bob Chapek replaced. Um, A lot of that had to do with the fact that Disney plus was like losing a lot of money and was also losing subscribers at the same rate. Obviously Netflix is losing subscribers and money. We had talked about that. Uh, um, And then you have all of these tech companies that are going through layoffs at the moment as well. I think that the issue is just we are finally like hitting the like uh, end or the upper reaches of like what is sustainable for the market. Like we had, I mean, like if you think about us growing up, like when I was in elementary school, there was none of this technology, you know, there was no streaming, there was no, um, you know, internet, there was no computers, there was no cell phone, like all of these things. And so the fact that they were introduced and then, you know, the market was just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as, as all these people kept converting to it. And now I think we finally reached the point where it's like, okay, everybody has a phone, everybody has a computer, like where there's no new people to sort of dig mm. around and get. Now you have to fight for the people who already have stuff. And so with like streaming platforms, like everybody has streaming now so now you have to and now there's you know six streaming platforms people don't want to pay for all of those so you have to sort of figure out how you're going to get people to pick you over the other five which is a lot more difficult than i think just getting someone to sign up in the first place Um, and also like all of those companies were getting a lot of investment money which is now ended um (laughs) So, yeah. Netflix is going to a commercial thing, which is so funny considering they like destroyed network television and now they're trying to run ads to pay, I, get more people to sign up. I honestly feel like Netflix, like if in 10 years Netflix was like not a company anymore, I would not be surprised <laughs> because like, yes, they came up with streaming, but they really have nothing like they don't have that many good shows and they have no back catalog of things to rely upon. So they like, unless they come up with a better model, that's going to keep people engaged. Like, I don't know why you would pick Netflix as the streaming platform to have when you have things like HBO, which has better shows, but also, has you know old movies and and friends and you know other things that you would want to watch where netflix it's like okay yeah it has stranger things and it has the crown but otherwise wednesday biggest numbers i guess (laughs) but like the oldest i mean like the oldest things that has on there it's like house of cards yeah (laughs) yeah i don't think people are binging through like orange is the new black the same way they are the office or new girl but yeah like netflix doesn't have those kind of they've still got new girl for now but to Love go it. back to the um, to go back to why the movies are flopping at the box oh, yeah, office, yeah. I think part of it is marketing because, like me as someone who knows about movies, there have been things that have come out that I've been like, "What is that?" Like I have heard nothing about this, and mm-hmm. if I have heard nothing about it, like the general public definitely has it. Um, 
so I think that's part of it. I think also part of it is like there's so much stuff on streaming. There's so like there's just so much mm-hmm. content that it's like I think all content across the board in general is doing worse. Like streaming shows are doing worse. Movies are doing worse. Like there's just too much. And at some point it needs to be cut back a little bit. Um, also going to the movie theater is expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways the pandemic like the studios during the pandemic sort of shot themselves in the foot by dumping all of their stuff on the streaming platforms. And now the window between when something's in the movie theater and when it's on streaming is really small. You know, it's like maybe a month sometimes. So plus they all have their streaming sites. So you know that at some point it's guaranteed to show up on the streaming site. Right. So it's like for something like she said, for example, yeah. there when you know that's going to be on, I like uh, uh, HBO. I, I can't remember, remember what studio yeah. is, but it's like, yeah, you know, it's going to be on something in probably a month. It's like to to go and spend eighteen dollars on that movie. Yeah, it like is feels a little bit crazy to me when you could wait and see it in a month. It's not something that like tons and tons of people are going to be talking about. It's a story that people already know. Like yeah. there's. There's just not a big push to do that where it used to be, okay, if you didn't Mm. see the movie in theaters, you're going to have to wait five months to see it. Well, okay, then maybe you do go see it in theaters just because you're like, this looks interesting and I don't want to wait that long. But (laughs) Well, plus it's like I've been thinking about these movies and how how they're marketed, like going back to bros and how it's like it's not enough to tell us like, oh, this is a fun movie because of XYZ and this is a story and don't you want to watch it? Like you have to come and see it. It's like... This is your duty. Like, if you love movies, you're going to love... If you love Spielberg, you have to come to The Fablemans. But it's like, well, what is The Fablemans? Like, what... I don't know if I've ever seen an actual, like, storyboarded clip of it. Like, it's just like, oh, it's Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical life story. And it's like, well, is it a fun story? Like, you know, like, you tell me right. what it is instead of, like, telling me why I need to see it. Like, like she said, it's it's like, oh, the it doesn't show the plot or make you engage with the characters or the story. It's so much about like the performative nature of, Hey, you got to come over and see this or else you're X, Y, and Z. And it's just like all about like kind of pitting people, kind of guilt tripping or kind of pitting them against one another to be like, you want to go waste your time with this when strange world is the first queer child. Like, like, okay, like, you have to give more than just yeah, your, like, like, call to battle. It's like, is the story good or interesting? Yeah. Or am I seeing this solely because it's, you know, the first one-legged eye-catch yeah. wearer who's in a, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. the I do feel like that with, with all of those movies. Because, I mean, I went into Strange World, like, not knowing... What it's the weirdest trailer I've ever seen. Yeah, like, totally and, useless. And I really loved the movie, but it is sort of like, yeah, the trailer wasn't doing anything. Yeah. I think she said relied heavily on thinking that most people sort of already knew right. what the story was, which I think only is true if you're like very online and very like in the community. Like, I think if you were to ask, you know. 10 people on the street randomly like hey who is harvey weinstein what did he do like and how did the story break yeah right yeah it's like did they know what miramax is like probably not um so yeah there's just so many of those things and i think it's interesting that the movies that have been doing the best 
seem to be the most simple ones. Like yeah. Ticket to Paradise, the George Clooney, um, Julia Roberts movie did really well. The Menu, which is like mm-hmm. a horror movie set in a restaurant, like done. Yeah. Barbarian. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, and everything everywhere all at once, I think, was was a slow build like word of mouth hit which i think some of these like some of these movies that have done poorly might have that potential you know it's like i could see people going to or you know like seeing she said or seeing tar or triangle of sadness or something like that and being like hey this was really really good like you should watch it but i again think that probably a lot of those people are gonna wait and watch those when they come out like (laughs) they'll watch them but the numbers won't be in the theater they'll be in the streaming service yeah yeah it just seems like the the proof is there like all you need to do is have a good movie and be proud of why it's good and don't be like oh i mean has spielberg ever made anything bad like well i mean just tell me what the movie's about (laughs) right i I don't know i think the problem is for some of these movies it's hard to tell what they're about yeah like (laughs) Like, Strange World is sort of a complicated plot. Yeah. And, and, um, say, and Fableman's is sort of about nothing. And, yeah. you know, like she said, I think is an easy story to market. I don't know why they did so poorly on that one. Yeah. But, um, you know, or like Bones and all. Like, yeah. some of these are just sort of like, what? But even the oddness, like, like, even thinking back to how they marketed Enchanted, and that was like a plot twist in a way for so many people going to the theater. And it's like, I think they need to have more fun about the content and the creativity of the films rather than the larger messaging or how it fits into the public discourse and the zeitgeist of our time. Like, it's just kind of interesting watching this and then seeing how people respond to it. And instead of being like, huh, let's think about this creatively, they're saying like they're measuring it against metrics that don't matter anymore. Like they're saying, she said bombs when it's like, well, did it bomb according to what what we have going for us right now. Like this is not going to be 2018 movies anymore. We can't like go back to that. We have to adapt and kind of uh, recognize that these may be more slow burns. It might not be the opening weekend that matters. It might matter how long this carries and how long it stays. And, you know, so it's weird watching it kind of like eat its own tail as these critics like say, ooh, it's an absolute disaster. Now Disney doesn't have to make another gay character because they didn't do well. And it's just like, huh, I, I wonder where the like where the buck stops, I guess. Yeah, it's like, did it do poorly because there was a gay character in it? Or did yeah. it do poorly because it was sort of a weird movie that wasn't marketed yeah. well? Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's all very interesting. I mean, also, I think some, some of it is too, like, I think people are, not that, not that we're necessarily going through, like, well, I... I think it we are going through like dark times in a lot of ways. It's it's less like necessarily chaotic than like the Trump uh, era, but it mm. but there is sort of a lot of nefarious stuff happening mm-hmm. and there is this also recession looming. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think people want like fun things. I mean even Black Panther is not doing as well as the previous Black Panther, and I think a lot of that is just because the movie is depressing. Yeah, and it's like if you want to go and watch a fun movie with your family over the holidays, like you're not going to go see <laughs> The Whale. You're not going to go see She <laughs> Said. Say she said. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're going to go see Ticket to Paradise or you're yeah. going to go see something like The Menu, which is just like so crazy that it's like 
fun. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. It'll be interesting to see kind of how this reaction and discourse and kind of dreariness reveals itself in the awards shows and the building Oscar buzz and stuff. Well, I think it, yeah, I think when the movie started to bomb like uh, maybe 2 months ago, everyone was like, "Well, these movies are out of contention." But now so many of them have bombed <laughs> yeah. that it's sort of like, "Huh, maybe that doesn't matter." Or I think it could go the other direction in which something like Everything Everywhere All at Once or Top Gun ends up like doing a lot better at these awards and having a lot less competition than you thought they were going to just because they're some of the only movies this year that really did well and that people really liked. Um, Like, I I mean, I could see a situation in which Everything Everywhere All at Once ends up winning like eight Oscars just because... You know, it's like the one movie that everybody loved, that everybody saw, that did well, that's unproblematic, that stuck around for this yeah. long um, compared to the rest of these that are sort of like, did people like them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what a heavy, what a heavy start to our pop culture. <laughs> well, start. We're almost 30 <laughs> minutes in. What What else do you have to talk about? <laughs> Well, I was excited to see Kiki Palmer announce her pregnancy on SNL. Oh, yes. That was fun. It was fun. Love it was Kiki. cute. Do we, who, is she married? I didn't look into this. Is she, um, like, who, no, who's the dad? Do we know? Well, she didn't say. Okay. I know she had a long-term boyfriend for a while, but I think that there was like some drama where she deleted all evidence of him off social media, which is never a good sign. But I don't know. It's not been confirmed or kind of. You know, she's not given any more than what she gave in her monologue, which is, yeah, you were right. I'm pregnant. No. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Carry on. Um, and you know what? She's she's a charming person. And her comedic timing is so fresh. It's rare to have a guest go on SNL and, like, and be funnier in a better way than the, the people around them. Because obviously a lot of them steal the scenes because they're, like, you know, big stars, very charismatic, like, you know, whatever. But. She's good. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of bummed that Nope seems to have not <laughs> be getting like as much attention in the like awards conversation as I thought it might. Um Yeah, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> I mean, I liked it. I think that she's really fun in it. I guess yeah. it's not really like an awards movie though. It's like a yeah. it's like a monster flick. Um okay, what other stories do you have? Um, oh, I guess Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, uh, revealed their Netflix documentary coming out. Um, oh, yeah. And I don't want one of them is writing a book, I think, too. Yeah. Aren't Harry they? has a book coming out called Spare. <laughs> We'd love to see it. <laughs> and then they have this, yeah, six part documentary on Netflix called Harry and Meghan, which is interesting because on, on one hand, I'm like, you guys did this tell-all interview. Like, what else is there to say? But on the other hand, I'm like, please do spill the tea. Like, yes, I'd love to hear you just rant about the I mean, British monarchy. I feel, like, I feel like it'll be a lot less interesting than – like, I don't think it'll be that juicy. I think, I think it'll be nice because I'm a sucker, you know, for a good, like, reminiscent celebrity doc. And I think it'll – talk about their, you know, courtship and kind of what she expected and why it went wrong and blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of theorizing that it'll tie in like Princess Diana and like, 
the frustration with the family at large and the historical issues with the family and racism at large and kind of so I think it will be, you know, if it was just like one episode, I'd be like, whatever, this is just going to be a feel good piece. But the fact that it's so extensive and they're like, well, if people are going to talk about us, then we might as well be the ones talking about us type thing, like set the story straight is something I'm I'm excited for. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always, I feel like I always wonder with this kind of a situation, like how juicy it can right. be given that they're like still connected um mm, you know thoroughly. in so many ways i mean yes and no like i don't know but also i finished the season of the crown oh. which <laughs> did you watch it no it was like sort of frustrating i guess maybe i just had the wrong expectations for it but i assumed that this was going to be the like princess diana dies season <laughs> And she didn't. Disappointed. Yeah. Well, and so the whole, I felt like the whole season, like there wasn't a, it was like revving up to something that didn't happen. Like it just felt like a lot of sort of spinning its wheels. We got these plot lines from characters that sort of felt like they never really actualized. Mm. There wasn't a good arc to the season. And also the season spent a lot of time focusing on people and things that were like very, superfluous to the characters like in the early seasons i think that was okay because you basically only had three characters you know it was like the queen her husband and her sister but now that you have like you know all of these other you know it's like the other siblings and then charles and diana and diana's kids it's like there's so many characters that i feel like we really gotta just focus on that on the royals and when it's like oh this is Philip's cousin who it's like no we don't care about her like unless she shot Diana I don't want to know what her thought is and we got a lot of that and then the last episode I was like oh we're not even like we're not even close I don't think to her dying you know if you're just looking for some salacious Diana news you can probably find a uh, a book about her you know Get well, to it faster that way. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. But I like I really like the show and I think it does yeah. a good job with things. I just I just assumed that the arc of this season because we only have one season left. Right. So I was like, I felt like the arc of this season should have been like heading towards her death. And then the arc of the next season was like figuring out what to do after that. Mm. Where now I guess it's like all of that is going to be next season. And this season was sort of just like a do-do-do. Wait, but I thought the whole deal with Netflix and Harry partnering was he's like, you can't do the crown after my mother dies storyline. Wasn't that like a whole story like a few years ago? I mean, I don't know if that necessarily. I know that the person who does the crown has said that he's not going past, I think, like the year 2000 Hmm. like i i like i think the immediate aftermath to her death will be covered but it's like uh, after that no let's not yeah we're not getting like uh kate and megan and all of that kind of stuff um (laughs) like they'll be children but which is also annoying to me because i'm like now that the queen has died we should just (laughs) do the whole life you know it's like complete the project (laughs) but you gotta write your letter to netflix i'm sure they'll listen well, I mean, here's the thing. Netflix is not doing well. So 
<laughs> they can't afford they might, the crown They might much scrounge longer. up another season of the crown just because, I mean, it's one of their <laughs> only shows that does well. Well, until Wednesday. Um, okay, but do you have any stories or should we get into love it or hate it? Yeah, let's talk about the White Lotus. Okay. Okay, perfect. Um, so White Lotus season two has been happening. And um, I realized that it lines up perfectly because we kind of had a up in the air episode planned for next week, which is the finale. So we get to do a White Lotus episode, which we did White Lotus season one. So look at us. Continuity. Oh, my gosh. So good. When are we doing um, uh, Jack Ryan season two? <laughs> is that still on the books? It wasn't Jack Ryan. It was. Um, was it Jack Ryan? Whatever that one that we watched that had John Krasinski in it, where he was yeah, like yeah. bombing civilians in <laughs> Kabul or whatever. Yeah. Oh, man. No, that hopefully never has a season two. But White it, Lotus. It's on season three or four now. It no, has gone... it is not. Yes. It has continued on, Shelby. With him? Yes. Oh. It's on Amazon. Oh, wow. I did not. It's like a <laughs> no, Yellowstone. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's like a Yellowstone show. It's one of those shows that like that like people who watch NCIS watch, I think. <laughs> but like has no cultural value uh, like oh, wow. outside of that grouping. Well, well, that's why we haven't gotten A Quiet Place 3 yet, huh? <laughs> I guess. He's busy churning out these Jack Ryan shows. Good for him. Anyways, White Lotus had, we loved it. It had some criticism of his, this, uh, the white creator uh, focus on race and how he kind of played these people of color. And, uh, you know, there was some controversy around season one. Season two. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of, Matthew. I feel like I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of controversy. And it was an interesting discourse and kind of a. People uh, didn't like the first season? Yeah, I mean, there was a, there's a, some people didn't. Yeah, I mean, it was still like a very well received film show, obviously, because it won like a bunch of grand Emmys. Yeah. But, but I'm just saying there was some, hmm, is this like, why is he, why is he telling this story? Like, get out of here type thing. Anyways, the point is that I actually feel like season two is, is going much better. It's maybe less fun, but I, I think it's, it's a better, fun. I think it's a better show, a better season so far. So anyways, my long story short is that we're going to do an episode on it, but I wanted to take this chance to kind of get like predictions, kind of predictions and, and feelings before before we see the finale. Yeah. I mean, I like this season a lot. I it's hard, like I haven't watched the first season, obviously, since it came out. So I, I was trying to think earlier about like, okay, do I like this season more or less than the first I wasn't season. sure you would be able to see past your like love of Mean Girls and Sydney Sweeney. Well, I love Sydney Sweeney, and I feel like I really liked the the plot. Like I liked Connie Britton, I liked Sydney Sweeney, um, but like the dad and the son combo of that group, <laughs> I feel like I was yeah. kind of eh about. And then I definitely like the Aubrey Plaza group mm. more than I like the Honeymooners on yeah. the last season. And I also I also sort of feel like while Jennifer Coolidge, I think, was more fun and like given more to do on the first season, I think her plot line is sort of more interesting this yeah. season. Because her plotline last season was basically just with the massage lady. Yeah. And 
Yeah. So I don't know. I really, I really do like this season. As far as people who die are concerned. So as far as who I think dies goes, I was I rewatched the beginning scene. Oh, okay, good for you. And so Daphne is the one who finds the body, mm-hmm. the first body or a body, yeah. and she's obviously shocked. But I feel like she's not giving the same shock that she would if it was someone who she knew who had died. Yeah. So I don't think that the person that she finds in the water is someone from her group. Yeah. Also the hotel manager is talking to the police and says like multiple guests have, or this is a guest or multiple bodies, but says something about a guest and that body. So I feel like that rules out like the piano player and like the prostitutes, the, yeah. the prostitutes and the drug uh, dealer guy. Like, so I feel like the, my theory as of now is that the body that she finds is the son of the like grandfather, father, son duo. I think he somehow. The middle-aged man. No, sorry. The grandson. The, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The boy. I think okay. he somehow gets involved with the prostitutes money situation and gets killed. Interesting, because I think she's playing him completely, and there's not actually a. I don't think she's actually in trouble. I think she's just trying to get him to pay. Well, her. maybe maybe she's not in trouble, but I think either way, he gets involved right. in that somehow, and is killed. Yeah. I think another option of somebody who dies is Jennifer Coolidge's husband, mm. who is obviously sort of in cahoots with the gay people. Um, to try and do something with her money and he yeah. would be a guest at the hotel. So I think he could die. Yeah. Um, and then I like think the I, grandfather it, could die and it'd be not like a nefarious thing. But yes. Just like, yeah. Just like a he stumble trips or has yeah. a heart attack or something. Um, yeah. And then I get like, I think because Daphne is like so chipper on the shore and then finds the body. Like, I don't think that someone in her group had yeah. died previously. So I think that she and that foursome are fine as much as I think they want us to think that somebody might kill Theo James. Um, <laughs> line up. Am I right? <laughs> unless, unless I saw a theory on Reddit that she is going to maybe kill him for some reason mm. and that the and that the opening scene is her sort of like covering for it by being like oh my gosh like a lovely day it's pretty elaborate and that yeah so i mean she's definitely smarter than she looks so i wouldn't put it past her but yeah but that makes it like a that makes it like a like this show isn't necessarily about the who done it that's like extra window dressing so if they make it too like Oh, she poisoned his water and then dragged his body through them, and then she circled back. Like it becomes unrealistic in yeah, a way. Yeah, I guess. Although, like the the whole Jennifer Coolidge plot line is clearly <laughs> like a long con. And if you yeah. think that the prostitutes are also running some sort of con situation, yeah, like could go I don't know. Do you have other theories? I don't know. I feel like it's interesting how. Um, What's Aubrey Plaza's husband, Colin or something? He's kind of lost his cool so quickly that I feel like something could go wrong there. But I do agree that Daphne played it where she didn't seem shocked by who it was, just that there was a dead body. And so 
I also feel like that rich people get away with things. So I would lean towards the prostitutes dying because they've also talked about like, oh, we're going to get out of trouble. Like, I don't have to do this anymore. Like, God will – like, she had that monologue where she's like, don't get into this work. Like, you lose your soul. And then she's like, but I found my way out. And so I feel like they will be the ones to suffer. Well, I mean, that was the whole – narrative of the first season is that like the rich people are fine and it's the poor people who get screwed over so i sort of agree with that um but then there's also the narrative that keeps showing up of like the head of at the first episode about like the heads and the woman beheading a man so then that makes me think like okay well maybe that that leads maybe she kills one of the maybe the prostitute kills one of the old men yeah i don't know <laughs> and and the and the uh what's chris name is christopher maltesanti on the sopranos but whatever his name is the sopranos guy he's <laughs> like i feel like he hasn't really done anything this like he's this character who is like had the l- least going on so is I'm, he like, the grandfather the, no the dad oh, oh okay. um like yeah. other than the fact that he's like trying to get back this <laughs> wife who we never see anything who's laura dern so she must pop up, right? What? It's voiced by Laura Dern. I don't know if she just knows the Did guy. Did we know that? Yeah, it's on IMDb. Like, literally, Matthew, my dad was like, that's Laura Dern's voice. Like, he just recognized it. And I was like, why would it be Laura Dern? Was that Dern? in the first episode? It was like when the first or that? second. I think it was the second, maybe. Well, maybe the first. Did I not? I feel like if I maybe I wasn't paying attention, you, you were like I would have recognized. Because, well, no, it's like I feel like Jennifer, or I feel like Laura Dern, like ha- like I know what her voice sounds like. Yeah, but no, it was very odd. So like if, if your dad was picking about. up on Laura Dern. I feel like I would have picked up on Laura Dern. <laughs> yeah. I'm gay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You should be embarrassed. Um, no, I'm so excited to talk about it. I'm, I'm, I feel like it's been a slow burn of a show. It's just like the best kind of uncomfortable watching these people stew over their meals and i just i'm thirsty to see how it all comes together so that's been a fun pleasure to watch and um honestly i think highlights what worked so well in season one for me and kind of left behind what didn't and so i think it's a really strong season we'll see how it ends though yes yeah yeah i'm excited something to talk about next week yeah. But this week, after this very long episode, um, we are going to be talking about the menu on Thursday. So <laughs> also is lots to talk about. Yes, so many things, so many plot lines. The menu and the White Lotus and Knives Out are like all in the same universe. Um, yes. But yeah, so thank you for listening to this. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about the menu and then more White Lotus next week. Bye, guys.